Welcome to The Tangent. Father Sam Kachuba here with Matt Sparaza, recording in person for the first time. First time. This is great. I'm, yeah. I'm really happy to be doing this in person, actually. I think it's going this is, to this is gonna make things a lot different. I think, I think it'll be easier, and I think the content will just immediately skyrocket. I, I hope so. Well, it, it's easier for us to talk to each other this way, for yeah. sure. Yeah. There's always that little delay when you're, when you're looking at somebody on a camera. Yeah. And you're, you're trying to say something, but you can't read the body language real well. <laughs> So like I, yeah, can't, or, I can't tell if he moved or if the camera just went out of focus for a second or what's going on. Right, and and the uh, what has seemed like we have had so many technical difficulties. All right, <laughs> there's there's one of the things that we're going to talk about today is because we've had these technical difficulties. There's something I really wanted to talk about, and I was trying to record it for last week. It, the whole thing just crashed on me. I couldn't make it happen. So we're going to talk about that. But yeah, okay. we've been having these te- technical issues where like. How is it that we got through a whole interview? Mm-hmm. We we managed to do everything, and then all of a sudden I was gone. I was actually I, I don't know if you got the full audio of everything that I was saying when my when my camera dropped and I got kicked out of that conversation. This is with with, with, uh, with Monica and yeah. Renzo. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you were able to hear my whole. Audio I didn't. No. Because no. you guys realized that I had disappeared. Yeah. And I was right in the middle of trying to say something and you started talking and I was like, Matt, don't interrupt me. And I was just teasing you. Like I was just trying to, I was just trying to make something funny happen. Like, hey, don't don't interrupt, just let me finish. And you kept talking, and then I realized Monica and Renzo started talking, and I was like, Oh, they don't know that I'm here. <laughs> I could see you guys, I could hear everything. Yeah. I was responding to the stuff that you were saying, and then I started texting you guys to tell you what was going yeah. on. That, like, yeah, yeah. That's fine. well, that's when we got clued yeah. Also, we should give them a shout out because they handled that situation like champs. Well, they're professionals. Yeah. Like, like Monica yeah. and Renzo or- Ortega are absolute champs and professionals. Yeah, they, it was awesome. Because sure. they they knew you were gone before I knew you were gone. Yeah. And it, and they kept rolling. And uh, I didn't even have to, you know how sometimes you got to give that like little, that little cue. You're like, oh yeah. <laughs> didn't have to do that. Like she knew immediately. She was like, I'm going to cover this. Yep. And I was like, okay, this is great. Which, which is good. And and yeah. we've had to do that already with some of these, these mishaps that we yeah. had. We're like, we, we're going to have to keep going. I don't know. We'll figure that stuff out. I don't know exactly how though. Um, well, I'm happy that you're here to, to figure it out yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. the fact we don't that I don't have to figure with, it out is though. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so here's the thing I want to start with. Uh, Veritas Catholic Network just had their fall fundraising pledge drive, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. you got to go on. I did, fall yeah. Fundraising pledge drive. Yeah. I got to go on too. Yes. Uh, which was which was great. I love. Uh, I've I've done this for the last couple of years. I've joined them for a little while, and so I was I was all set to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long did they have you on on the air? I was on the air for like an hour. Okay. Well, so I wasn't. It wasn't a planned interview. Yeah. This was like I went up there to, I went up there essentially to run the board. Yeah. And then because I was running the board, I happened to be in front of the mic. And so I got cute, you know, you like brought in on the mic and I met Debbie. I don't okay. know. Have you met Debbie? I believe I talked to Debbie last year. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I ended up talking to Debbie, uh, who, who's a wonderful person, you know, seems very nice. We bonded over Italian mothers and chicken Parmesan and, and eggplant Parmesan. What else would as, you bond as, over? <laughs> as one would on the radio in an impromptu fashion. Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't really it. What the point of it is? It wasn't an interview necessarily for the tangent or for like any right. of the work that I do there, because uh, I'm involved in a couple shows. But it was more like, we just got to. Who talk. are you? Yeah, you know, she had no idea who I was, and she was like, <laughs> "What is your name? <laughs> why are you Why are you on camera in front of me? Why can I talk? Where to you did right Steve now? go? <laughs> <laughs> he left. He's, he's gone. He quit yeah, yeah. the whole thing. Okay, no, I was just wondering because. Uh, yeah, so you were on for an hour. But I did pitch the tangent a couple of times. <laughs> Great. Super proud of you for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had you on for an hour, 
yeah. uh, talking about stuff. Yeah, yeah. And part of the pledge drive because they they felt your voice was valuable. Mm. Okay, that's nice. what I'm going with. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's great because, um, and I, there's no bitterness here or anything. Like I went up thinking I was on for an hour too. Oh, okay. and I think I got 20 minutes, and they're like, "All right, thanks so much, Father Sam, for joining us," and you're gone. And <laughs> I was like, "What the heck? I just got here. I, I thought for sure I was on, but I realized that they had to do one of the like one of the the programs that they have to air right. was coming on right. and I didn't I, I assumed that I was on until like I was start, supposed to start at 1030 I was on mm-hmm. for until 1130 no nope, it was more like I got on at like 1040 and right. stayed on until just before 11 right <laughs> my right. whole segment was like 15 minutes hey right. thanks for coming goodbye what was your segment though uh, I was on just as part of the pleasure I, I followed okay, okay. Kelly Weldon and now the Kelly's segment went a little bit longer because she was actually talking about some of the really cool stuff that Foundations and Faith is doing okay, okay. and some of the really important things but yeah, I ended up just on for like five minutes. I'm like, what the heck? I'm the chaplain of Veritas Catholic Network. <laughs> I'm the host of a show now, and and I get 10 Got minutes. Got no respect. Okay. You know, it was good for my humility and for my ego to realize <laughs> I'm not that important. I just don't <laughs> matter all that much. <laughs> and it's it's a, just a healthy little perspective giver right, right there. Yeah, you, know what? you matter to me. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm glad you came. Thanks so much, and goodbye. Right, right. Great. You know what? Doesn't matter. Veritas Catholic is is fantastic. I was really happy to be yeah. Happy to be part of it. Yeah, happy yeah. To, happy to be in support. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, and, and you know, I, I was, yeah, go. Well, go. I, I heard that you had been on. I was like, I got to find out how long they've been that stay on for because they kept me on for like 15 But yours was an minutes. invite. Mine was an invite, was and, an invite and was advertised. Right. Yeah. Mine was a, where oh. I, I basically was running the board so Steve could run the phones. Right. You know? Yeah. So I, I went up as like, I went up for behind the scenes help and happened to end up on the air. Because they could. Because they could, yeah. and and it helped to the the phones were slow for the first half hour. Yep. And so rather than Debbie just repeating ad nauseum, call we were looking for the best call, your best pledge. Right, you know what right. I mean? Which is good, you know, like she's got to be doing that. We we threw some conversation in. Okay. And then the phones picked up, which was great. Oh, that's good. I don't know if the phones rang the entire time I was there. Yeah. If yeah. I'm being really honest, I'm not sure. I was. I like I was, to think it was our entertainment that brought. I, w- I would love to think that I, I contributed something. I'm I'm not sure I actually did. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. all right. So I wanted to I wanted to do a little comparison. Like, how much time did they give Matt when he was on the air? How much time did they give Father Sam? And uh, no, I know where I stand now, and I'm I'm grateful yeah. for that. Thank you. No, you've you've helped me a lot. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here's here's the other thing I I wanted to talk about, and this one's more serious. Okay. Um, this is one of the things that I was trying to record. Okay. And then kept losing the recording. Uh, I was trying while uh, it was one of the weeks that you couldn't record. So I was trying to do a solo show mm-hmm. and uh, I just felt it was really important to talk about because uh, I found out about this uh, several weeks af- after it happened. The last issue of the Fairfield County Catholic had an obituary for Father Philip Pitya. Okay. Father Philip, I don't know if you ever had the chance to meet him. No. He, he did a lot of work here in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Um, he was a priest of the Diocese of Juba in South Sudan, what is now South wow. Sudan. Wow, okay, yeah. yeah. And so during that country's, during the, Sud- the Sudanese Civil War, mm-hmm. um, eventually leading to the creation of South Sudan okay. uh, as, a, as an independent nation, um, the the Christians in the South, the Catholics in the South, were were at war with basically the Muslims of, of the north of Sudan. Yeah. Um, it was a brutal civil war. There's all kinds of stories from that. You have the, the lost boys of Sudan and the child soldiers and all kinds of things. Well, mm-hmm. one of the things that, that happened uh, frequently in that was that uh, priests were persecuted. Um, in particular, yeah. Catholic churches were, were burned. Uh, priests were, were tortured, right. um, put in prison, all, the, all these other things. So Father Philip was one of those priests who mm-hmm. had suffered imprisonment, torture, 
uh, physical things and ended up as a refugee seeking asylum here in the United States. Wow. As he came here, he would then go around and preach about the the situation in Sudan, kind of going around raising awareness yeah. for it and asking people to pray for the persecuted Christians of Sudan. In addition, he brought over a lot of priests mm-hmm. and he used to bring these priests over so that in the summertime they could go around and do missionary talks. Mm-hmm. And they would go all over the country and they would travel all over the place telling their stories and sharing all, all these experiences. So Father Philip was really an incredible man because no, even though he was he was away from his home country, uh, and away from his people, he consistently and faithfully uh, proclaimed the gospel and and encouraged people to be aware of what was going on in his in his own country. So he was he was both this tremendous witness of the gospel and a tremendous witness for human life, for human dignity, for uh, atrocities being being committed. Really, just a remarkable guy. And then when you when you'd hear his story and you'd find out like the stuff this man went through, the the things that they did to him and the the tortures that he endured, and then. You'd, he'd introduce you to these to these other priests. So the the Sudanese priests would stay at St. John Fisher Seminary in Stanford. Yeah, sure. And so every summer, we'd have a whole bunch of these priests there. Really? When yeah. was this? This would have been like the early 2000s. Okay. Late okay. 90s, so before my time on that campus. Yeah. I'm not sure okay. you were born yet. Um, no, I, yeah, I was. <laughs> you were a very small child but I was at small. the time. Yeah. yeah. They, would, they would stay there and you'd get the chance to meet them. So seminarians, we all, we all had the chance to meet these priests. Mm-hmm. And to sit there and, and I, I had been thinking about this because I, I read the obituary right around the time of the Feast of St. Isaac Jogues. Sure. So the martyrs of North America. And then you, when you find out what happened to Isaac Jogues with uh, the, the way they cut off his fingers and the, the beatings and everything yeah. else and crushing his hands because they, they realized that from his hands, something was happening. They didn't fully understand uh, that his hands were blessing. They thought there was some sort of magic power that he had. So they're doing whatever they could to, to harm his hands. So he ends up uh, escaping. And being picked up by the Dutch who bring him to Manhattan. Isaac Jogues was the first Catholic priest to visit Manhattan Island. Really? Yeah. That's a, just a fun, fun yeah, little fact, yeah. right? And then uh, they got him back to France eventually. So he gets back to France and there he's revered as a living martyr. Right. So here's Isaac Jogues, this man who has suffered for the faith. He's been physically tortured and you can see the evidence. Yeah. All you have to do is look at his mangled hands and realize that this man has suffered for the faith. Well, because of the the damage done to his hands, his his thumbs and his index fingers were, were gone, uh, he had to ask permission to be allowed to right. celebrate mass and be given a special dispensation because you have to have the canonical digits. Mm-hmm. Your thumb and forefinger are necessary. And actually, I think your middle finger too uh, would have been the canonical digits so that you could give blessings because they would give the blessing with like the three fingers. Right. Right. So he's got to go and ask this dispensation so he can say mass. He's revered as a, as a living martyr, and then he chooses to go back. He chooses to go back to the the Native American population that he had been serving, that he had been living among, so that he can continue proclaiming the gospel. That's all he wants to do. So he goes back. He goes back to what's upstate New York now, and that's where he eventually gives his life for the for the sake of the gospel. The idea of, of a living martyr, and it struck me as I was reading Father Philip's obituary, because I didn't realize he died in North Carolina, so I, I, had, okay. I hadn't seen him in a number of years. But to, to realize that I've, I've met this man who was a living martyr in his sufferings and the things that he endured, he was a living martyr. And then I realized all these priests that he introduced me to, these guys were living martyrs. When you, the, the tortures, the, the horrible things that these men suffered physically because they were priests. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. And I started to realize I'm, I, I, I have been in the presence of these men who have, have literally shed their blood for the gospel. Right. They survived and remained faithful. And then 
to see these priests. They would sit around at the at the dining room table and you could hear them two stories up laughing. Right. You could go up, go upstairs and from your room upstairs, you could hear these men down in the dining room laughing and sharing stories and just their fraternity and their love and the laughter. It was like the loudest laughing I've ever heard in my life was from these guys. And I'm wow. thinking to myself, everything that they suffered, all the stuff that they went through, and they're laughing. They're laughing. Man, can you imagine facing down your persecutors, suffering physically, imprisonment, torture, and then being able to like just to laugh about it? Because in comparison, what what is any of that? Right. Like, who really cares in the end? We just, oh, so we had to suffer for a little while. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's profound, you know, because it's this like, it's this deep understanding that the incarnation is real. Yeah. You know, it's this deep understanding that the incarnation happened. And so all of these things take a new perspective. Right. You know, so, I mean, first of all, the, the laughter, it's like that shows the joy, you know, and, and something that I thought of when you were talking was, uh, oh, I don't, I don't know what the scripture verse, like, I don't know where it comes from, yeah. but, uh, in your in your fight against sin, you have not yet shed blood. Right. I think about that all the time. Yeah, St. Paul's saying you you have uh, no wait, it's not St. Paul. It's uh, it's in Revelation. Is it? That's out of Revelation. Okay, yeah. okay. You have not I think I think it's Revelation. No, I think it's St. Paul. Well, we're gonna have to look that up. We'll, we'll put it in the show <laughs> notes. Show notes. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. I don't know. <laughs> but you no, you're right. Like how many of us have actually had to resist unto the point of, of right. death or suffering? Right. And that Father Philip spent his life even even after escaping from the physical threat of suffering, he spent his entire life calling attention to the fact that it was happening. Right. And so he very much suffered with his people, right. with his brothers right. and sisters, uh, even if from a distance. And he never, he just never lost sight of it. So I was thinking about him and I said, I just, I want his name to be mentioned. I want to talk about mm -hmm. him because uh, I was so inspired by him uh, and and to just see him, to to get to know him a little bit and to have that brief interaction. I mean, really, the the history of my interaction with the man is not long. No, fair <laughs> I, enough. I wish but... I could say that I knew him really well yeah. and had heard every story, but to to realize that, first of all, persecution is still happening. Right. There, there are Christians who are suffering for their faith and not suffering like, oh, th there's people who don't like that you're Christian and they make fun of you for right. being Christian. Like, right. There's people who their life, their property, their family is in danger because right. of what they believe. It's happening to this day. And to know that there's a persecuted Christian community in this country, that country, and then to, to realize that we have the capacity to support them. Like the, the persecuted Christians are our responsibility. Spiritually, in prayer, we got to pray for them. Uh, financially, when when the opportunity comes up to give to the missions and to give to those to those organizations that are bringing aid to them, like we've got to be there in support. But just to realize all of that coming together, all of that idea that wow, this persecution still happens and there are still martyrs being made. Yeah, I mean, wow. it, it brings me back to the early church because the early church. I mean, and and you would know more about this than I would. But my understanding is not only was there, right, the martyrs, it's and it's the, the blood of the martyrs, it's the seed of the church, right? Tertullian, yep. But you've got something called confessors, mm -hmm. which were the people that uh, were tortured and were imprisoned but didn't right. die for the faith, essentially, right? It was like almost like you're almost at martyr, but you're not. Right, you know? right. By simple fact that you didn't die. Um, and there was even a – now, this is this is a tangent, right? But there was, wasn't there even a heresy 
that someone said that the church should only be made up of confessors. So if you were if you were tortured, if you were imprisoned and then you broke, right? They didn't mm. want to offer forgiveness. Well, yeah, so the, you have uh let's see. Th- there there are a couple of different heresies that lasted for a couple of centuries, yeah, different different variations of the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so there's there's the the heresy, I think I think it's donatism mm-hmm. that says that uh the the value of the sacrament depends on the worthiness of the minister. Mm. And so a minister who's unworthy cannot validly celebrate a sacrament mm. basically would have been the, the right. teaching. And that's where we get the ex opere operato mm. theological statement. So it, it is not from the worthiness of the minister that the grace of the sacrament flows. It's instead from the grace that God provides yeah. in spite of the unworthiness of the minister. Right. Uh, so the correction to that was there. But then there was also this... Um, and if you I, were if you weren't a confessor, that would be an issue for that. Right, exactly. Yeah. And then so then there was this this uh, the rebaptism controversy that yeah. would come up. So Saint Cyprian of Carthage was was one of the guys. I was actually just reading about this. Don't I don't know why I was reading about it, but I was reading about this recently. Okay. So <laughs> Cyprian of Carthage, early on, was was one of the the uh, saints involved in this in this question. So it's a legitimate question, right? What happens when, in the context of persecution, uh, someone renounces the faith? So they apostatize, they sacrifice to the pagan gods, right. they, they renounce their faith publicly, but then they repent of that and they desire to come back. Can, right. they, can they be allowed back into the communion of the church? Right. And this, it was a very real question. The church had to face it. Like, right. well, what do we do in that situation? And there was some thought that they have to be baptized again. Right, because it's a re-entrance into the covenant. Exactly. So the thought was, if we have to re-baptize them, then we would have to re-baptize anyone who has sinned not just people who have renounced the faith. So that's where the, the, the question kind of developed. And it's, well, on the one hand, I get what you mean. Somebody who has abandoned the Catholic Church should be rebaptized. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, do we believe in the grace that God gives of forgiveness? Mm. Do we believe that God has the capacity to forgive someone who has entered into relationship with him? Because in that case, the other logical conclusion would be that the church is only a church of saints. There are no sinners right. in the church. Right. And that simply doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And that's it's not even on the table. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and the church realized that very quickly. Well, actually, we can't say that because if if we say that everyone has to be rebaptized if they've renounced the faith, then we would also have to rebaptize them every time they sin. Right, because sin is essentially renouncing the faith. I mean, it's turning your back from God. Right. Exactly. You know? And and so the the extreme example of renouncing the faith, right, the public right, renunciation, right, 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 and and lack of fidelity to God in that way. Yeah. All right. There's there's a public act that has taken place. Well, then by a public act, something can happen, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be a a, a public rebaptism. Mm-hmm. And so the actually this is one of the the ways in which the theology of penance as a sacrament mm-hmm. develops. Yeah. And it's also where some of the juridical principles that the church has for reconciling someone who has broken communion. Yeah, like there's there's a possibility someone who's broken communion can be reconciled back to the church, if it's a public uh, break, mm-hmm. then the reconciliation also needs to be public. Wow. So if if you renounce something, right. uh, if you publicly declare something to be like I I no longer believe X Y and Z. Yeah. Um, there's also a way in which a public reconciliation is healing because the public reconciliation not only brings you back into the communion of the church, but that public reconciliation also says to everybody who belongs to the church, this person's back. Right. And so there's a rejoicing together because that reconciliation has taken place. 
in in the early church that that really was a controversy. I think it lasted until like the fourth or fifth century. Wow. Um, and then in very when did Saint forms, Cyprian live? Cyprian, I think, was in the second century. Right. Uh, wow. So yeah. like we're talking four hundred years. Exactly. Yeah. So not not a short time and no. and a genuine controversy that the church has to has to work through. So then coming back to Father Philip and the priests in Sudan, right? Mm-hmm. When you see when you see these these examples of people who have literally suffered for the sake of the gospel, people who have given their lives in a tangible way for the for the promotion of of the gospel and, and of Jesus Christ, and you see that they've suffered and they've remained faithful, I mean it's a huge examination of conscience. Like what the heck am I am I worrying about? Mm-hmm. Like why why am I like this? You know, I, I started thinking about this too when all right, failed to record this several times. Mm, right, Try, right. I tried real hard. Yeah, yeah. Wanted to make sure I paid tribute to Father Philip Pythia, who prayed for the repose of his soul and in thanksgiving for his witness because yeah. what a what a guy. Uh, but then I, I started thinking like, all right, here's this incredible witness, this guy who has suffered so much. And you ever buy shoes online? <laughs> yeah. Right, so I, I was just busy. I, I was going to have to, I needed to get new shoes, right? Mm. Um, and so I, I went online and I, I bought shoes online. They came and it's not quite what I thought they were going to be. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm like they're black shoes. That's all I need. I need black shoes. That's that's sufficient. They're black shoes. That's that's enough, right? Yes, that's enough. That's all I need. I, I this it's what I wear every day. It's all what the time. I wear. It really doesn't matter. Do they? Fit? I yes. wear black. Do they fit? <laughs> yes, they fit. Are they are they comfortable? Comfortable enough? Are they black? Yes. Okay, then. What the heck do you have to complain about? But there's this part of me that's looking at these shoes going, that's not quite what I thought they were going to look like. And I'm, right. I'm like whining interiorly to myself because I'm an idiot. And here uh. I am like annoyed by it. And then I'm thinking Father Philip Pythia literally was imprisoned and beaten for being a Catholic priest and then spent the rest of his life encouraging people to pay attention to the fact that there was a persecution of the church going on in Sudan and uh, probably always had holes in his shoes, moved to Connecticut which I don't know if you know this, but Connecticut and Sudan have extremely different climates. <laughs> right, right, uh, and right. this man continued to suffer and yet was just a radiant source of joy and light. And I'm sitting here like, oh, the shoes I ordered online aren't exactly what I wanted. What's wrong with me? No, I get that right? though. I get that. <laughs> that's what, And that's why I brought up that Bible verse. You know, that's why I brought up, you know, in your fight against sin, you have not yet shed blood because that's how I feel. Yeah. I, I like every day, like, I mean, and, and the thing is you have to be careful because you can be really scrupulous about it. It could sure. be a source of anxiety, you know what I mean? And and in the past, I mean, it has been for me, but but I think I'm handling it pretty well at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Not really, you know? Uh, where I'll say like, you know, uh, Our Lady of Fatima, right? Like she, she says like fast, like offer your small sacrifices, you know? And then you look at what those kids did and it's like they skipped lunch. And I'm sitting here going by the USCCP being like two small meals and a regular. You know what I mean? I'm gonna, what do you listen. want at McDonald's? I want two small meals and a regular, please. You know, like, so I don't know. You know what I mean? Where it's like, well, what am I doing? You know? Right. Well, I, I appreciate that you listened to my to my talk from, from yeah, yeah. Uh, the Frasati night. That's that's good. I appreciate that. Actually, that's another thing I wanted to mention here. Yeah. So I, I have something that I said during that talk. If you go back a couple weeks and you listen to uh, the the talk that I gave to Frasati on tap. Uh, there's there's one comment that I made. I think it was during the Q and A session. Okay. Um. And and I just want to modify what I said. Okay. I think yeah. I, I stand by what I said, but I just I just want to add something to it, like a, a, another level of context and another layer that I think is important. So, uh, during that that conference, the Sacred Heart University uh, Vatican II conference that I was I was part of, um, 
one of the one of the people in the presentation asked a question and and talked about having not read the documents of the church or mm. the documents of, of the council and so what i said during the talk was i was surprised by that i was at a conference on vatican ii and there were people there who hadn't read the documents and i stand by that like yeah i i, I think it's perfectly reasonable to go to a conference about something and expect that people have at the very least uh some some background. familiarity, yeah. some background with it, right? Um, at the same time, though, what I should have included was that it's an academic conference. And there's good reason to go to an academic conference about something that you know nothing about. Right. Because to go to an academic conference and try to learn through attendance at that con at that conference about the subject. So if, if you want to know about Vatican II, going to a Vatican II conference can actually be a right. very healthy way to learn about it. Yeah, so yeah. I should include that because I don't think it was entirely fair for me to say that I was I was surprised that people at a Vatican right. II conference didn't, didn't right. know the documents. Like I, I should have been more more careful with, with what I said there because – there's plenty of reason that somebody would go to a conference and learn something, and that's that's the thing to celebrate, right? Right. And in fact, I was very grateful that this this person was saying that I they hadn't read the documents, but they were interested now, and they wanted right. to. Right. Uh, I think that's the good thing, right? So, like all of this stuff, we can we can learn stuff. Mm -hmm. And similarly, like you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, you've not yet suffered for for your faith. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure that we should go looking for suffering. Like, let's, right. let's, let's pray that we start getting persecuted or something. No, no, I don't think that's the, that's not right. the right move. Let's not do that. Right. And that's, <laughs> it, it, it is an interesting, it is the, it's, it reminds me of G.K. Chesterton's orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. He talks about how in Christianity you have, you constantly have like two concepts that seem diametrically opposed to one another, uh, uplifted at the same time. For example, the celibacy of priests and religious and the beauty of marriage and having children. Or uh, the the like, um, this this may not actually be from his book, but it was something that I thought of. Right, the like total mercy and grace of heaven, and then the fact that hell is perhaps totally just. You know what I mean? Like you, if you are sent right. to, if you judged and you know sent to hell, is that the right way to phrase it? I don't know. If you're judged as belonging in hell, that, is that that's, if you choose hell? <laughs> I, well, so this th th that's an area of of our, our theological discourse that I'm not sure we've we figured out exactly the best yeah way. on the one hand understanding that hell is is part of god's justice that that god who is just uh gives to those who have followed his law mm -hmm. and there there is a just penalty for not following his his law right. and, and his right. will which there has to be otherwise it's not just right and at the same time uh the where justice and mercy have met is is precisely in that place where God says, "I I give you my mercy no matter what." Right. And so, if God's mercy is infinite and vast, and He wants to give it to us no matter what we've done, no matter what sins we've committed, then the the punishment of hell is a penalty of our own choosing because right. it means that I have decided I don't want God's mercy. Right. And if I don't desire the mercy that God has for me, well, then I have chosen. Mm -hmm. not to have that mercy. I've chosen against God. If I've chosen against God, well, that's kind of my own fault. Isn't yeah. it, right, isn't it kind of like, so two things. One, one, uh, I heard Scott Hahn recently say that the unforgivable sin is attributing good to Satan and evil to God, right? Mm. And it kind of makes sense within that, the context of that, that discourse where it's yeah. like, well, what's the only thing that's unforgivable? Well, when you refuse to see the goodness of God. Right, you turn from it intentionally. Uh, and then two, C.S. Lewis has a pretty famous quote where he says that uh, at the end of your life, there are two kinds of people, ones who 
see God and say, your will be done. And those are the ones that go to heaven and the ones who see God and say, my will be done. And those are the ones that go to hell. And it's because you've chosen your will instead of God's will. Mm. But, but nonetheless, it remains your choice. Hell is a place where your choice is what occurs yeah. outside the will of God, who is goodness, truth, and beauty. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I think that that's just it. Hell is that place of it's separation, but it's a chosen separation. Yeah, yeah. Like I've chosen not to have that goodness, truth, and beauty that is God. I've chosen. Right. I've chosen the opposite of that, and I've chosen it for eternity. Yeah. Right. We wow. don't. We don't want to do that. No. Right? <laughs> Let's avoid that. Everybody. Advice to yeah. the listener: We're just going to avoid uh, choosing against God's yeah. goodness, truth, don't and beauty. Don't choose hell. <laughs> yeah. Great, great summation. Uh, I think I think that's that's a point well taken. Right, yeah. <laughs> but so so it's these two ideas that are diametrically opposed, right? Right. Yet come together. You know, like they they both remain true regardless. You know, and I think that there is this truth to well. Maybe the best way to sum it up is that there are sometimes you faster and there's some there are sometimes you feast. Yeah. You know what exactly. I mean? We are a feasting church and a fasting church. Right. You know, and I, but I think that's beautiful, you know, like you see, and you see it all the time. And I only gave really those two examples, but if you look at the faith, you see it all the time. Jesus yeah. Christ is both fully God and fully man. Right. You know, it's like. the, the There's a, a tension that we live in. Yeah. Theologically. And, yeah. and tension is not always bad. Think about a suspension bridge and the tension of, of the things that are holding that bridge together. That tension is good because it makes the bridge stable and safe. Right. Uh, electrical power lines there's tension in those lines mm-hmm. and as long as there is tension we have electricity but as soon as that tension is broken then we lose power right <laughs> so tension can can be a great thing uh cardinal dulles avery cardinal dulles had a, a great line about this i'd have to look it up uh but he, he says that uh there's that tension is is where we find the, the fullness of the truth and anyone who feels hemmed in or feels that that tension is is out of place hasn't really caught the full breadth and vision of what it means to be Catholic, mm. and it's something along along those lines. I'd have to find the exact quote, but it's it's this brilliant acknowledgement that we can hold many different things at the same time. Right. Uh, we can't hold things that are actually opposed to one another. The principle of non contradiction still applies. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like the, Logically. can't be true and false at the same time exactly. in, the same pl- in the same place. Is that yeah. what you're, yeah, you're <laughs> Well, two, like two objects cannot occupy right. the same space at the same time. Yeah. Um, and something cannot be both true and false at the same time. Right. There's, there's a, a reality to that. But at the same time, things that seem opposed mm-hmm. are not necessarily actually opposed. And so we can find that tension. And in that tension, we actually discover that uh, we need this. Like it's it's not tension in the negative sense of this is a really tense situation. Everybody's really on edge, and this is difficult and hard. It's more like this this tension is actually the way in which we we find our equilibrium and our peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the thing that uh, Saint John Henry Newman, right? Yeah, he talks about difficulties and doubts. Mm-hmm. You know, and difficulties are those tensions, right? But we are we are called to. I mean, I guess you can you can be called to easing those tensions, right? Meaning, like you're called to sure. like understand. You know yeah, what I mean? If, if there's some difficulty that you have about the faith, some question that you have about God, it, it's okay to ask the question. Right. It's okay to try to understand more, so that you don't feel like there's a contradiction in your heart or in your mind. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, maybe those tensions. I guess I, I really it came from the the analogy of the bridge. Yeah. You know what I mean? That that it's the tension that holds it up. I wonder how often it is the tension that actually 
not holds up the faith. You know what I mean? I'm not really articulating it well, uh, but holds together the faith. Maybe I think there's a way that sometimes we get we get afraid of any kind of tension. Right. We start to think that the existence of tension is in and of itself a bad thing. Right. This is somehow an evil that there that there is such a thing as tension. Right. How how on earth could how how could there be a potential tension? Right. If the faith is true. And it's like, well, you know, truth isn't that simple. You know what I mean? Like you're going to find that you're going to find things that seem like a difficulty because because here's the question, right? Difficulties are real, but is difficulties are real. But are difficulties only real because we don't understand the fullness of it? And if we did understand the fullness of it, the difficulty would cease to be cease to exist. Yeah, there's that. There's also sometimes a a difficulty that exists in the context of trying to understand our faith is because I don't understand. Right. I lack understanding. Other times it's because I have chosen to believe one thing Mm. and I'm being presented with an idea that is contrary to that. And I don't want to let go of the of the previous idea. So it it can be intellectual, uh, intellectual pride. Right. Sometimes that gets in the way. And, And it could be this like this kind of malice even because of sin. Sure. Yeah, the the more the more we've entered into into sin, the more we're kind of defensive, right? Right, and I I don't like the idea that someone would say that what I'm doing is sinful. Yeah, and so the more you say that what I'm doing is sinful, that's not only an intellectual challenge; it's a it's a personal challenge. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't want to be hurt by that, so I'm gonna I'm gonna push back against any idea that contradicts what I'm already doing or what I already believe. Mm-hmm. But it's really important that we have that that openness, that understanding that there's. There, there's a, a greater reality that we don't always see or mm. understand. And if we can enter into uh, a genuine a genuine examination of that reality, of of these other ideas, if we can if we can acknowledge and appreciate that tension that can exist, we realize that we're actually safe. Like it, it's a good thing to wrestle with an idea. Yeah, even if you're not convinced of it yet, I would, right. I would rather see somebody trying to understand the Catholic faith, mm-hmm. raising questions about it, and and trying to figure it out with with an honest, an honest seeking after truth, mm-hmm. than somebody who says, "Well, that's that's just wrong," uh, and they they take the the Twitter response, of right, like, right, uh, in in 150 characters or less. I I want you to explain everything about the church, and then, uh, well, if you say that, then you can't possibly hold hold this to be true. Right. There's there's got to be room for nuance. There's yeah. got to be room for for understanding. Yeah. Um. So it, there are places where there's not room for for nuance or understanding. Yeah. Um. Jesus Christ is God. Yeah. Well, right. So I I didn't mean it in that way, but you're right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are certain things where there's it. This simply is the truth. Yeah. No. What what I meant was that uh, there are there are certain situations where. Uh, that that space for a nuanced discussion is not being offered. Mm. So Father Philip Pythia, uh, imprisoned, these Sudanese priests put in prison and tortured. There's not room for a nuanced understanding of what the Catholic faith is. They weren't given that that space. Yeah, and they weren't giving given the the opportunity for it, and they they suffered very literally, very physically, because that space wasn't wasn't afforded to them. Mm. But they spent the rest of their lives explaining what happens when that when that real space for nuance for understanding when that space for talking about the faith is not afforded mm-hmm. when it's not provided uh, you end up with 
you end up in persecution because the the human response to an idea that challenges everything they that they believe in and ends up so often being violence not argument but but actual violence so i'm honored to have been able to know father philip pitya and to be able to say this now about him mm-hmm. right it's it's amazing um but that's the that's the reality there's there's so much about our faith that needs to be witnessed and shared if we can find the way to to share it and to and to share it to share it not in not in the extremes but even in like in the nuance and the details in the in the, the real stuff yeah that's the beauty like that's where the church wants to be that's what's incarnational right 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 it's not just like big ideas or extreme ideas and like if you don't agree with this with this idea then you're out completely it's it's so much more nuanced yeah it's, it's, that's so cool yeah and and i think uh so when i figured that out i don't i mean i i'm honestly i i, I hesitate to even say i figured it out because i think that you're a work in progress it's okay yeah you know what i mean yeah but when I learned there was some nuance, and and honestly, and and this is perhaps a little bit more broadly connected, when I when I learned there was intellectual rigor, you know, which demands tension. That's when I really started taking steps in the faith. Yeah, you know, because I because because something that you see today is that like you see so often this uh this concept that like you are Christian because you are stupid. Oh yeah. You know, and I, I don't, I mean, obviously that isn't true. All you have to do is read Aquinas and it's like, it's like, you think this guy's an idiot? He asked all of the questions. What are you, an idiot? (laughs) Thomas Aquinas asked every question that could be asked, then asked every question that could be asked about every question, answered all of them, and then came up with objections to all of them and answered all of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah, nobody's thought more deeply about anything than Thomas Aquinas <laughs> right. has thought about the world. It's it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and and that to that point that that our faith is actually intellectually rigorous. It's it's really interesting because people come to the faith in different ways, and, and they they come to understand the faith deeper uh, for a variety of reasons. For some people, it's that it's that spiritual encounter with God uh, at at mass during adoration, uh, praying the rosary, something like that. They have that that profound experience of the presence of God and Mm -hmm. having experienced that they're convicted and convinced forever. Yeah. And that's how they live their, their faith is just so much on that, on that spiritual level. And it's powerful. There's others. And I think this is how God communicates with us. Mm -hmm. Like other people uh, need the, need the questions answered. Mm. They need to be challenged to think and to think deeply. And so the, the intellectual aspect of, of the faith is the way that God gets to them by, by saying, right. here's, here's some stuff that you can, that you can think about and right. talk about. Uh, there's other people, we, we talk about this all the time, and, and Bishop Barron's big on this. Uh, Bishop Frank is, is big on this. Mm-hmm. The idea of attracting through beauty. Yeah. Right? That beauty speaks because it, it transcends whatever religion you might be. It transcends whatever degree you might have. It transcends your personality type. Mm. Something is beautiful. I was with some friends yesterday, and they're, they're three-year-old. Uh, yelled to me, Father Sam, look out the window, look at the sky. Right. And I looked out the window at the sky and the sun was setting and the sky was unbelievable. Right. And their three-year-old right. picked up on it and was like, you have to see this, Father. Right. right. <laughs> at three years old, look at that, look and see. So there's there there are beautiful things that, that transcend space, time, age, mm-hmm. everything. 
And that can be the thing that draws someone towards God. Yeah. God can communicate to us. God can break through in so many different ways. But when when we really start thinking, and, and we should, mm-hmm. however it is that God best communicates with you, however it is that you experience God the most, uh, we should never put the intellectual off to one side mm-hmm. and think that it's either the most important thing, and so it's the only thing I'm really going to focus on, or the other extreme thing. No, the intellectual stuff, that's just for the theologians, and I don't have to worry right. about that. We all should have some some sense of the like the knowledge of of our faith. Mm-hmm. We should go. We should go beyond the purely spiritual, the purely beautiful. Mm-hmm. We should we should also dive into the truth and to the to the fullness of of that deep thinking. Um, but then, if we've only gone into the deep thinking, we're going to find ourselves just way too easily caught up in like I can't I can't become spiritual now. Yeah, I'm so focused on on being right. smart. <laughs> right, I've I've like lost that capacity for wonder and awe. Yeah. Uh, so it's again the tension. These are not opposites. These are not things that are contradictory. Right. These these are all things that God can use to communicate with His people. Yeah. These are all ways in which God wants to give to us something great. Now, uh, so I, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk about which of the three appeals most to you, and which of the three appeals most to me. Okay. Because I I've I've got a lot of thoughts about it. All right. All right. Let's right do it. back. Okay, Andrew. welcome back, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> welcome back, everybody. We uh, we finished off just prior to the break with the three kinds of. Uh, well, how do you define them? So we're, we were talking about three different ways that people might might en- engage with the faith. The sure. way, ways that God is going to break through in people's hearts. So the way of beauty, uh, the transcendental of beauty. So we talk about the, the transcendentals, uh, goodness, truth, and beauty. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so beauty in particular as something that doesn't really require you to know anything. Mm-hmm. It's self-evident right in front of you that something is, is beautiful. So God often communicates to us through through beauty. There's also the direct personal experience of God's grace and God's presence that you might have. So it's a spiritual way that God breaks through uh, often during mass, uh, during a time of prayer, a, a sense of a tangible sense of God's presence and, and God's love that draws the heart and that, that draws you. And so in a way, both beauty and this this spiritual communication really appeal to the heart in mm-hmm. a powerful way. And then there's the intellectual, so the truth, right? right? So we, we might be attracted to God through our, our study. And as we learn more, as we understand more, uh, the the rigor of, of the intellect and the engagement with the mind is the thing that draws us deeper into a relationship with God. Right. Yeah. I know that, so so for myself, I, I was away from the faith in college from probably midway through freshman year to end of junior. No, honestly, beginning of senior year, right? So it was it was a while that yeah. I had I had stepped away from the faith, um, and then praise be to God, an evangelical Protestant had the guts to say to me, "Hey, man, what do you think about Jesus?" And I said, "I don't know. I don't think I I don't think I really believe in him." And he said, "Why not?" And I, all I could come up with was, well, I don't think I want to. And he said to me, well, that's, that's all good and well, man, but you should have a better reason than that. <laughs> and I was like, oof. I don't feel like it. I don't want to is, is kind of, uh, yeah, that's kind of the two-year-old response. I don't right. want to. Right. I mean, and I'm just going to stomp my feet and stay here. And, and it's and wor- But it's worth noting it's a common one. Sure. That's like, I think that is like the prevailing reason in, in Western culture. It's just like, well, I want to do these things and Christianity says something contrary. 
But because he said this to me, I was kind of forced. We've talked about it before. You were forced to read Harry Potter yeah. in order to be <laughs> academically honest, right? <laughs> and 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 I was forced to investigate the Christian faith for yeah. real this time, you know, yeah. where it wasn't just like, well, you know, I'm I go to Catholic school and and I take a test and I got A's in Catholic school and so it was fine. You know I just I, mean? I just love the the comparison that that I read Harry Potter and you had to dive into the deep theology of the Catholic <laughs> faith and it's pretty much the same idea. Yeah, right, pretty, it's, it's pretty it's much basically the same, the same thing. Yeah, 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 I'm with you. You know, and so I read <laughs> I, the the first book that I read was it was written by. Uh, I don't know if he's evangelical, but he, he's certainly Protestant. Um, his name is Lee Strobel. Okay. And it was called The Case for Faith, Case for Jesus, The Case for Faith, I think. Okay. Um, and it didn't even present, it didn't present like Catholic arguments and it didn't present any of the five ways. You know what I mean? He just threw out, like, I think it was really the intelligence design argument. Okay. That he threw out like if if the, you know, if the world, if the Big Bang happened at like one over 10 to the like whatever number, you know, like some ridiculous number that there'd be like 1900 zeros or something, you know, he was like, the world would be a fireball. And I remember being on a plane reading this and being like, oh my gosh, God is real, <laughs> you know, but like it, it, even that, like that was a simple form of academic rigor because it wasn't really rigorous you know what i mean no but, but it's, it was, it's throwing an idea at you and saying think about that. right it was a motive of credibility right you know and so i was brought in i was brought in ultimately through apologetics where mm -hmm. i started i started paying attention to apologetics and i was like i was like i can't believe i'm i'm looking at these arguments like for example about morality i was like of course morality doesn't exist if god doesn't exist it has to be outside the human person it can't be objective I was like, but everybody acts like morality exists. Everybody act, you know, like, like I think, again, C.S. Lewis, right? He said, you might think that it doesn't exist, but the second I steal your wallet, you're going to tell me it's unfair. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? exactly. And it's like, oh, right, that's that's a great point, you know? And so I started coming yeah. out on the side of, of Christianity and specifically Catholicism. But then I hit a point where I essentially was trying to turn Christianity into something that I could prove. It wasn't yep. that I was looking at it like a philosophy, but I was, but I was in the sense that like I was open to the mystical, but I had never really experienced the mystical, you know? Um, but I was trying to prove it at every opportunity. So th this is a common thing that happens at the more you get involved in, uh, in doing apologetic stuff. Mm -hmm. If, if you don't, if you don't accompany that apologetics stuff with a, a rigorous prayer life right. and an experience of God's grace. So for me, it was, it was actually kind of the, the opposite direction. Yeah. Uh, or opposite order, rather, it was going on a retreat, having a profound experience of God's presence, wow. and being really attracted to the Eucharist, and and realizing that uh, God speaking very clearly to my heart and saying, I, "I desire a relationship with you," and having that that knowledge that here here is a God who I know I believe in, and and I know has has shown me His presence, right. and I and I want to be in a relationship with Him. And then realizing if I'm going to actually have that relationship, I need to know some stuff. Right. And then I got really into apologetics too. But just like any, that's that's any relationship. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I want to be you friends got, with this person. Exactly. I need to know about this. It's really important to know stuff. Yeah. Right. So I got I got really into apologetics. But then see what, what, what happened with apologetics was for me, it appealed to my argumentative part. Mm. That part of me, like I, I, I was just really interested in, in being right. I was also in high school. 
Yeah. And I don't know if you know this, but a lot of high school kids just assume that they're right. I don't know if you've ever found that working with high school students like you do. Um, never. I've certainly <laughs> never experienced that working with high school students for the last 15 years. No. Right. I, like I really, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed getting into these arguments. Yeah. And, and I always go back to this, that I was getting really into the apologetic stuff. And I had a couple of experiences along the way that, that kind of stopped me. And prevented me from continuing on that same path exactly the way that I was. Mm -hmm. And one of them was my friend Megan, uh, Megan Merwin, then Megan Flood. Uh, she's great. <laughs> I remember we were we were in a in a discussion, a group discussion about something, and I was pretty convinced that I had the apologetics right. Mm -hmm. And she pointed out to me how profoundly flawed my argument was. Mm -hmm. She agreed with my conclusion. Right. Like we were on the same page and, and wanted to argue towards the same thing. Mm -hmm. So like if if it was a debate, she and I were on the same team, 100 percent right. in agreement. Right. But she was pointing out just how badly I was making the point. OK. And she was older than me, so she wasn't afraid to challenge me on it. She's like, yeah. hey, buddy, come on, you can do better. Right. And she pushed me to to make the argument better. And I, I always remember that because it was that that nudge that made me realize the way that I was arguing wasn't helpful wasn't going to bring anybody to believe what right. I was saying uh, as as right as I thought I was. And my conclusion was correct. Right. It was my whole way of getting there and the the tone that I was taking with it that was that was wrong. And so she pointed out to me and that got me thinking, I have to be more careful in the way that I do this stuff. Um, and every once in a while, I was more careful. <laughs> it took me a really long time to fully grasp that lesson. Yeah. And along the way, there were there were several other moments where I went, oh, Oh man, like I, I look back now and I go, I, I wish I had handled that conversation differently. Uh, a couple of years ago, actually, there's a, a young woman here in the parish and she came in and told me that she wanted to be confirmed. And I said, okay. And she, I don't know if you remember me. And I'm looking at her going, I don't, I don't remember you. And she says, we were, we were at Sacred Heart University together. Like my freshman year of college, wow. we were in class together. I, I don't remember her, but she told me the class that we were in and I'm like, immediately going back to one of the like worst memories that I have of, of getting into a classroom debate. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was encouraged. We were supposed to argue, argue the point, but right. the, the way the approach that I took with, I don't remember what the point was now, but I, I distinctly remember like knowing as the words were coming out of my mouth, don't say that that's the wrong way to say it. Right. And you look like a giant jerk. Don't right. say it. And it all came out and I went, Oh no. And, so like in my heart, I'm going, I hope she wasn't the person I was talking to because here she wants to get confirmed and, right. and she remembers me from that class. I know it was that class that I made a complete fool of myself and sounded like a real jerk. Oh no. What if she was the one I was talking to? And I asked her, I was like, I just have to ask, was, was that me? She goes, I don't remember that at all. So I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> right, right. As long as you don't remember it, I still repent. And I'm sorry if that was you. <laughs> okay, I apologize. Right. But like, whoa. <laughs> right. She got confirmed. <laughs> received the sacrament. It was great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like that that intellectual part to to be able to, to talk about the faith and to realize that there's something smart and God gave us a brain. Mm -hmm. He gave us a brain for a reason and it's to be used. And there's there's more than just the the simple, well, I just believe and I just I just right. believe. Like there's and there's more than just, well, the Bible tells me this, and so I have right. to believe it. Right. Um Fides et ratio. Yeah, it's it's it at ratio. It. Yeah, faith and reason together. Fides. I was asking about yeah. the pronunciation. John Paul II's great, yeah. great encyclical, but he he talks about that. He says our, our faith is very real, and to to believe and to have that biblical faith is 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 good. 
But just because you believe, it doesn't mean that you believe blindly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you be- believe irrationally. Mm. Um, in fact, there's there's some serious stuff that's been thought about. And most of the time when you see religious people portrayed on TV, they're portrayed as kind of blind followers. They're, right. they're not portrayed as intellectually serious people. The intellectually serious people are the criminal investigators or the doctors or whoever it is that's that's talking to them because right. the, the religious person on, on the show has to be an irrational person. Right. Right. And I think apologetics helps you to remember that, in fact, right. there's there's serious rigor here. Now, what's interesting is that, like, while so often TV will portray the religious believer as an irrational person, um, if you if you read some of the stuff that's out there, even like the new atheists, mm-hmm. they try to engage philosophically and seriously with religious thinkers. They are obviously coming from a place of, of disbelief and they don't always engage necessarily with the same kind of uh, charity, mm. right? But they they do believe. There's a guy, I, I wish I could remember his name. Matt Frad has had him on his podcast. Matt Dillahunty? No, he's British. Uh, I, I don't remember oh, his name. Oh, he's British. It's a guy who's British. He's he's an atheist. Alex O'Connor. Maybe that's, I don't know. He's he's an atheist. Is he a kid? I can't tell because I've never actually seen the video. I've only oh, okay. heard it. He's He sounds young. Did he talk to Bishop Barron? Mm, I don't Trent Horn. think so. He talked to Trent Horn. Alex O'Connor. Okay. So he's he's an atheist, but he's studying theology. And they did this debate back and forth. And the debate was so respectful. Yeah. And the whole thing was, I'm, I'm going to take your argument seriously, and I'm going to recognize that you're making serious contributions here. Yeah. I might disagree with you, but I, I want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And the conversation is so different then, because there's this acknowledgement that, that actually reasonable rational human beings can have serious conversations and serious disagreements, Mm -hmm. but we can talk about it. Yeah. The danger, if you're like me, immature and prideful in high school and immature and prideful now as a priest for 15 years, (laughs) the the danger is that you can sometimes make those arguments the wrong way. Yeah. And if you take the wrong approach and you're arguing in, in the wrong way, or you're, you're not allowing for the goodness of the other person you're not recognizing that they actually have that capacity. Apologetics can be mm-hmm. a, a really dangerous tool. Yeah. On the other hand, apologetics can be one of the most important things because it teaches you fundamental truths about the faith right? and and how to understand them, especially when people attack you for having them. See, yeah. we don't have to go on the attack. They're, no. The, the world is ready to attack us because we believe in the gospel. Right. 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 There are plenty of people out there ready to argue against us. We don't necessarily have to go looking for the argument. It'll no, find us. It will find us. But yeah. we do have to be prepared for when that comes. That's scripture too. Yeah. 1 Peter 3.15. Always be ready to give an account of your faith. Do you know what 1 3 Peter 16 is? I don't. Do it with gentleness. <laughs> but, but it's so much easier to just be ready to give the account. Why, I remember when I read that Why do that I have to be gentle? Time, I was like, I was like, I have not been paying attention to this verse. <laughs> That's why proof texting doesn't really work well. Right. Right. So you proof text, you just pull the quote from scripture that you want. Uh, you often end up pulling it out of context. Yeah. And you lose something really, really important. Right. That's my favorite Jack Chick okay. tract. So Jack Chick is a publishing thing that that publishes these very, very anti-Catholic okay. little pamphlets about um, all kinds of different things. And, and one of them, they're basically criticizing Catholics for things like confession. Mm. And so the the idea is that there's this man who has died and he's he's standing before God and God quotes scripture to him mm-hmm. and says, who but God alone can forgive sin? And then it, it gives you the biblical citation for that. 
And it's really funny because the biblical citation, uh, who, but, who but God alone can forgive sin, is the Pharisees criticizing Jesus right. from the Gospel of Matthew. And you're like, well, I'm not sure if you, when you want to make your point that only God can forgive sins, which is true, by the way, only right. God can forgive sins. Right. It, it, is, it is not, Catholics do not believe that the priest is the one forgiving their sins, right. that God is forgiving their sins through the ministry of the church right. represented by the priest. Right, right? in persona Christi. Exactly. Right. So anyway, when you want to make the point that only God can forgive sins, is the best way to quote Pharisees who were opposed to Jesus and were denying his ability to forgive sin. Right. So essentially, you quoted the people who denied the divinity of Christ and therefore right. were saying that Christ could not forgive sins because he wasn't God, but he is God. So you realize that like right. they've done this terrible job because they, they found the quote that like they yeah. thought this was the money quote, but yeah. pulling it out of context, like, right. well, that like, doesn't make much sense. You're quoting the bad guy, yeah. man. Don't, don't do that. It's like, yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm interested in, so, so quickly, I'll, I'll get to the point, right? Okay. Because <laughs> I was, it doesn't I know, I know. Because I was first brought back through the intellectual rigor, right, and found myself trying to prove the faith, I found myself eventually, one, realize, realizing I couldn't, right? I could never prove faith, right? And so it was kind of like I had to retake that leap two years into this reversion, you know? Uh, but ultimately, I found myself praying for a more charismatic experience, mm. meaning I, I wanted to be, I said to myself, you know what, I've been trying to prove this and I, and I believe that miracles are real, but I've never really seen one, you know? And, and I believe in the, this movement of the Holy Spirit, you know, and how one can be, uh, you know, so positively influenced by the Holy Spirit, you know? And so I prayed for, for a more charismatic experience as a Christian and eventually found myself in it, right? I'm a, I'm a part of uh, the Sacred Heart Guild. Mm -hmm. um, are you aware of what that is or no? Here in the Diocese of Bridgeport? Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Right. So I'm, a, I'm Renee and I are part of the music ministry. Sweet. Um, and this is just, quite frankly, just the most recent example, right? But uh, so I found myself more involved in, in this particular ministry that is so charismatic. Like I'm meeting CFRs who are like, I walked around with the Eucharist and the Monstrance during adoration and a girl was healed on the spot and it's like oh wow okay but Isn't that great <laughs> right which is awesome but basically my mindset became like if this is real if the gospel is real i should be experiencing miracles you know what i mean like it's not that it has to be all the time i'm not exclusively right. it's not like i turn a corner and there's somebody raising the dead you know what i mean that's not what i'm saying <laughs> You know, but it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a mindset of like, well, that was a thing of the past. You know what I mean? Oh, Which yeah. I think is a common temptation to think like, well, I believe in God, but, but God did all that stuff like 500 years ago. Right. We forget that the Holy Spirit is still at work in the life of the church today. Right. To work miracles. Right. And, yeah. and so when I opened my heart up to that, he totally provided for it. You know what I mean? He was like, great. Now you're here. You know, you weren't here before. Right. You know, and, I, and I, I've got this funny feeling that might not, that might have been why I didn't see him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not that I've seen somebody healed personally, you know, but I've, ex I've met these people who I know are trustworthy, you know, yeah. that they, they share these stories. And I have experienced the Holy Spirit working through my own charism of music. Yeah. You know, where like the, the, the short version is uh, Deacon Fetty, who is a part of this ministry, gave a testimony about Mary appearing to him in a dream, Right. And, and it being a, a huge piece of his conversion. And like two hours earlier, I just happened to put the fiat to music. Like I put, and it was, a, it was like a combination of the fiat and the, the presentation, you know? Yeah. 
that like totally fit his testimony. Right, right. And it was like 90 minutes before we went, you know? And so it was a Holy Spirit moment. Sure. You know? The Holy Spirit 90 minutes. <laughs> right. That's what they call it. That's yeah. what they call that's, it. It rolls off the tongue. It's oh. actually, that's well, actually also from St. Cyprian. <laughs> uh, but, but, but do you know what I mean? So where it was like, I wasn't experiencing these things, but my, I wasn't open to it. Right. I was trying to prove everything. There, there's this, this part where as you go deeper into, into prayer, backed up by your, your intellectual knowledge of the faith, by that theological vision mm-hmm. and everything, then you start to recognize more stuff. Like it right. becomes more clear. All right, I, I did this and wait a second, God is present and acting here. And I can recognize God present and acting because, well, I've studied. Right. I know a little bit about what God's action looks like. Right. Uh, I'm paying attention as I'm praying and I'm, I'm hearing this this prompting from from God. And the reason I recognize it as a prompting from God is that I've read the scriptures. Right. And so I kind of know the voice of Jesus because I've right. read the gospel. Right. Um, so all of these things start to really come together. It's interesting you talk about the charismatic because uh, I think that those charismatic gifts of the Spirit and that idea of allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through us to draw us deeper into faith, but also to draw others in, mm-hmm. that those those ways in which the Holy Spirit is still at work and that the gifts of the Spirit are not confined to the past, but are very much ours to work with today. Yeah. It, we need to talk about that. We need to use those gifts. Right. We need to engage with them. But then there's also this this piece where we realize that in those in those charismatic gifts, God's God's working to to bring us to a deeper holiness, mm-hmm. and that if we look at charism, right, right. And the, the the way that God distributes gifts to the church, the gifts that are distributed are are for the church, for the building up of the body of Christ, for the good of of the faithful, to to draw souls to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, but certain gifts are going to be given at certain times, right? And so th- there may be a, a a stretch of time where a, a charism is necessary. This particular gift is needed in the life of the church at this time. Interesting, right? And but then therefore, can, it's more common, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And then there can be a time where that gift is no longer needed in the same way. And so actually, that charism for a time is withdrawn. Now a new charism is given. Uh, right. A, a new way of, of building up the body of Christ is, is offered. Which makes perfect sense. Yeah. For example, I, like some of the charisms are less extraordinary, I think. I, at least in the sense, to the senses, maybe. Right. Yeah. Like it, it would seem to be less extraordinary, uh, the charism of administration as opposed to the charism of bilocation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Should one have the charism to bilocate? It's cool. Right. Right. Well, but, one is like one's like a superpower and the other one is like you're helping build up the church. And that, in a sense, right. is a superpower. It's a superpower. It's just a little less flash. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. But but like, for example, right, this and this might be a stretch, right? We live in this technological age that is unprecedented, you know, and something like Catholic media, right, being involved. I could see how there would be a charism uh, connected to Catholic media. Sure. You know what I mean? For the building up of the church, right? This this talent that virtually couldn't exist 200 years ago. Well, because the technology didn't exist. Because the technology either. didn't right. exist. Yeah. And it's interesting. If, if you go back, watch, uh, watch old videos of Fulton Sheen. Mm-hmm. So there's Archbishop Fulton Sheen in the what mid fifties. Yeah, he's got the number one primetime television show in America. Mm-hmm. And this is of course when television ended at 10 p.m. Right, <laughs> and they they played the national anthem to end TV. Did they really? Oh yeah, I didn't. Yeah, know like that. every night that they would play the national anthem, and that was the last thing that was aired That's, on broadcast see, television. Yeah, I mean, can really? you imagine? And people would stand at their TVs while the national anthem played, wow. and then they turn the TV off afterwards. Wow, I did not know that. Oh, wild stuff. 
So if you watch those old videos of, of Fulton Sheen, you'd watch it now and go, this is really weird. It was basically like he was acting. Right. Like he was on stage delivering a dramatic monologue. Right. We would never want to do that in TV today. No. You would never produce something like that because it's it's so it's almost melodramatic his right. approach and, and he's I mean, he's such a great orator. Oh, he's you awesome. listen to his voice and it's just it's fantastic. So I'd listen to him no matter what because yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah. But look He's also if, a genius. <laughs> yeah. But if, if a guy like that today was trying to make that show, I'm not watching. Right. I'm just not interested. It's right. not it's not flashy enough, it's not entertaining enough. Right. For the media that he had at that time, mm-hmm. he knew exactly how to use it. Mm-hmm. And he used it the way that basically anybody else who was using that media was using it. Right. Uh, of course, as that media develops, as the technology develops, then so too you have to shift the way that you're doing things. Right. So we're kind of at that point now with, with Catholic media and, and things like that, that we've, we have the opportunity to use it and use right. it well. But Fulton Sheen, we are not. Yeah, and, and but again, right, it makes sense, right? If it's the new evangelization, you'd expect some new charisms, you know? Yeah. Well, and I don't know if it's new charism so much as, as new application of the same charism. Yeah. This sure. charism can be applied to uh, many different areas, mm-hmm. right? So somebody might have a charism for preaching. Right. But they don't necessarily have the charism to preach uh, in podcast form. Right. Or, or, or to preach on television, but... That's the guy you want leading your parish mission. That's right. the, that's the guy you want to call in for for this retreat or that retreat. Right. They've got the charism to preach live. Yeah. Um. You could have somebody who's who's got a charism for administration. Right. Uh, and it's not so much administration of temporal goods, but it's organizing uh, an event mm-hmm. uh, and organizing organizing people together to to do stuff. Right. And you can bet your bottom dollar that there's someone with that charism running a Steubenville conference. Hundred percent. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Where suddenly you've got like this huge light show. <laughs> have you ever been to a Steubenville conference? I have. So I've I've helped out with the prayer team at Steubenville East. Really? Past. Yeah. And the the amount of stuff that goes into those conferences yeah. is remarkable. Oh, it's unbelievable. Uh, and and to when you when you realize who's who's there, it's it's all volunteers. Right. There's there's a few people who are uh, employees of Life Team or of Steubenville who are right. present as as part of it. But then everything else is done by volunteers. You realize the Holy Spirit has to be part of it. Oh, my God. Because there's, there's no way these things can happen. The, the amount of people that have to be moved from place to place, mm-hmm. the, uh, the equipment that has to be in, in the right spot at the right time, yeah. couldn't happen if you didn't have the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit's in that town. People. You well, know what I mean? Yeah, but you have all these people who are, are not professional in these areas yeah. who are, are doing it. Like I always laugh, the security team. The security team is like a bunch of kids right out of college. Who have I think no it's security I think, well. I think it's current students. You know, yeah. I went. I went this summer. Oh, so you you go on campus? Yeah. I so I've campus. I've never been to a campus. Okay. 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 Conference. I've I've only been. Well, to I've the, only been to one. East, so, yeah. but they 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 have like it's a bunch of people. You get a black shirt, and that means you're security. <laughs> right. Uh, and so your your job. Why is Why are you to, qualified for this? Ex- Do you not see the color of my shirt? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have a black shirt. That means I should I should be on security. No, like their their job is to is to keep an eye on things and to right. make sure that people don't go certain places. Right. Uh, and so everybody's and everybody's supervised. There's chaperones everywhere. Right. So it's not like it's a free for all. Yeah. Yeah. Still, like, there's like the security, the campus security guards who are the real security, and then these these volunteers who, as security, their job is to do this. But. Again, the Holy Spirit's behind all of this because they're they're moving in in all of these different places that mm-hmm. to make that conference a reality. Right. It's super powerful. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. 
It's awesome. So uh, the last thing I would say then, okay, and then we're, we're going to wrap this after this. Totally. Um, the, the last thing I would say is there's there's another place where God likes to encounter people and and move people. And we didn't talk about this as one of the the main ones. We talked about beauty. We talked about that that spiritual, tangible presence of God. We talked about the intellect, and then we went all over the place talking about stuff. But there's this This one, is the tangent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we are true to our name. So th- there's this one other place that I find God really speaks to people. And it's the place that I find myself drawn to the most now okay. at this stage in my life, and that's silence. God speaks in silence in a very, very powerful way because we live in a noisy world, and sometimes it's just the chance to be quiet. Uh, I like to go. There's a monastery in Livingston Manor, New York, that I okay. go to for retreat. And do you go on a year, an annual retreat? I, yeah, okay. yeah. So when I get there, actually to go there, I have to go, and I can't listen to anything in the car as I'm driving there because by their requirement or no, by no, your... by my own. Sorry, okay, okay. yeah, no, that's that's a good question. By my own requirement, because the silence is so intense once you get there that if I've been listening to something along the way, go nuts. I, I know I, mean, there will yeah. be so much noise in my head. Right, I yeah. need two hours of silence in the car before I get there just so that I can enter into the silence right. that's there. Right. But then that silence is so profound. You actually sign when when you uh, arrange for a retreat there, you sign a, an agreement that you will not talk to anyone. So anybody else who you see who might be on retreat, the agreement is they're not talking to you and you're not talking to them and, and you know it. Well, you, uh, this is a silly question maybe. Yeah. Would you give like a small nod? Yeah, you can you can do like the nod just to acknowledge the the presence of the other person. Right. Uh, but like I'm I'm reverencing you. You're here. I see right. You. Yeah. No. I I, I guess what I meant is like yeah. you're not ignoring them. Right. Right. It's okay. it's not about ignoring them, but it is about respecting their silence. Yeah. Yeah. That this is it's it's meant to be solitude. Yeah. And so about the only time you ever talk to anybody is preparing for mass. Uh, if you're a priest, there might be other priests there, and so you. You'd say hello in the sacristy as you get ready, and usually their chaplain or whoever the priest is who's the celebrant kind of knows what they do in the monastic life and how they're going to approach things. So he's going to give you some instructions about where to sit, what you're supposed to do, who's who's doing what during right. Mass. And then you speak during Mass. And then you, 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 only, you only speak the words of the yeah. Mass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, otherwise there's there's no talking. So like the whole time, you don't you just don't say anything. It's fantastic that's so so it makes me think of uh i don't know where it comes from you maybe do yeah uh that you're going to be judged for every small word right every everything you utter right you know and so it's like i mean that is a profound experience it's a great opportunity uh because you start to realize how how little you you really need to say you also start to realize how how often you speak uselessly yeah how often am i just babbling on and on there's nothing for me to say so going into that silence, it's it's a profound experience because it's also there that God can speak in ways that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. When you clear out the noise of your life in that silence, God God does something. I just had this last week with our um, our, our middle schoolers. Uh, we did adoration for for the kids uh, during their confirmation prep time, and uh, before we started, I just wanted them to to be there and to see everything what's what is this thing on the altar that's called a monstrance what what does it mean they've never heard of any of that before right. they've not experienced this so it was good to just show them what, what was going to happen then i explained what i was going to do uh and then after exposing the blessed sacrament i gave them a little bit of silence and then kind of walked them through some guided prayer mm-hmm. with brief periods of silence in between right and when i say brief periods i mean literally not more than three minutes of silence right right 
but to a sixth grader that's forever three minutes of silence oh my god can be eternity yeah right so i asked them at the end how did how did you feel and they said well it was really quiet i said when was the last time you were that quiet and they couldn't name a time yeah did you like being quiet yeah i liked that we didn't have to talk that we didn't have to do anything yeah i liked that we could be quiet and that's the thing god can speak so powerfully through that silence that that pressure, the pressure to say something, the pressure to be doing something, the pressure to to have something going through your head, when that's taken away because you're allowed to be in silence and you, you've got yeah. permission to be silent, well, things really start to change. Right. If I can be silent, if I'm, it's, it's okay, I'm allowed to be in silence. Well, then in that silence, God, God can do things. Mm-hmm. God can speak. And and maybe just because I've shut out the noise, maybe that's the thing that's going to give me the space I need to finally discover what God is trying to say. And sometimes it's only by turning down the volume on everything else that I'm going to hear the voice of God. So it's in silence that God really communicates. So first of all, I, I think that's 100% true. You know, I think, but I do think it is a... I think it that's you said like this is what you're experiencing now, right? And I do think that it's because you have spent the last 15 years as a priest, you know? Oh, Meaning like like I, when I try and be silent, I struggle with it. Yeah. Now, you also know me. <laughs> silence doesn't come easy. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it doesn't. Well, so think about it like this. In my time leading up to becoming a priest, 7 years of seminary. Right. In that time, we had weekend silent retreats. Really? Days of recollection. So like you you get these little experiences of being silent. Right. And then you go on a week-long silent retreat. Right. Where we are keeping silence at these times. And the first time you go on a silent retreat, it's it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, I remember being on, on a silent retreat when I was in theology. And you're trying really hard to respect the silence and, and not to talk. But you're with a, a new group of of seminarians, and so everything's like you just you're just there, and and you're watching guys, and like a guy drops the salt shaker at, at the meal, and you just crack up. You don't mean to, but you're laughing hysterically because he dropped a salt shaker. It's not funny, but it's funny right, because right. there's nothing else to talk about. So the fact that he dropped a salt shaker, hilarious, yeah, greatest yeah. thing that possibly could have happened, right? Yeah. So we get this, and there's there's these little these little moments where. Yeah, you learn how to be silent, mm-hmm. and and these these in these exercises that you that you do um, a week of of retreat, and then another week of retreat, mm-hmm. uh, days of recollection. You learn how to enter into that silence and how to be in that that quiet space, and then you learn the value of silence uh, daily, mm-hmm. a little bit of quiet time. But like it's all building up, so seven years of building up to that, right. and then fifteen years as a priest of building up slowly, or almost fifteen years as a priest, not fifteen yet. Right. I'm, I'm getting there. Right, right, right. <laughs> like slowly building to that reality, slowly yeah. building to the, uh, the the truth of of silence, and it, it takes time, but it's oh, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I often tell people if if you want to try silence, just do a weekend silent retreat, because usually the weekend silent retreat silence actually starts Friday night before you go to bed. Mm. They're like, okay, hey, we're all here for a silent retreat. Who is it? Who is who is everybody? What where, where are you from? What are you doing? Here's the first talk. You don't. It's not so much about being silent there, but after the talk, we're going to go into into silence, and uh, we encourage you to uh, get to bed by ten o'clock. Right. right. So okay, that that's easy. Saturday is the hard day to right. be quiet, of course. And then once you've gotten through the hardest day, a full day of silence, then on Sunday, well, we're going to break silence after mass. 
Right. So you have Sunday mat, uh, Sunday mass uh, in the morning, and then you go and have have breakfast or brunch or whatever, and and you're able to talk and, right. and everybody's that. chat. Yeah. So it wasn't that you had three days of silence; it was that you had uh, thirty hours of silence. Right. You know, total. Right. Still worth it. Yeah. Hundred percent worth it. Yeah. Totally. All right. Hey, that was fun. Uh, yeah. Well, this is the tangent. You can find us on YouTube, on Instagram, at the tangent underscore Catholic. The Veritas Catholic Network app. Mm-hmm. Various and sundry other places. Do you know the radio stations? 1350 AM, 103.9 FM. Nice. Fridays at 1230, you get the radio edition, or you can just stay here on your favorite podcast app and get the full edition uncut. Amen. God <laughs> bless you.